Hello and welcome to the Money Live podcast. Today's episode is the first of our three-part Consumer Duty mini-series in collaboration with the London Institutes of Banking and Finance. Joining us from the LIBF today is Helene Panzerino. Helene, it's great to have you here today. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thanks. Wonderful to be here. Um, At the London Institute of Banking Finance, I lead on the digital uh, training. So the fintech training for the banks, for example, and anything to do with with, uh, going from analog to digital. The LIBF has been around for 143 years. So uh, we firmly moved into digital space. I also um, am part of their um, think tank, uh, CSFI, where we look at financial innovation. And of course, all of our members there are going to be in the financial services industry. And this is another topic that's important. So we see it from the uh, learner and our member uh, perspective, but also from a training perspective, because we do teach um, some courses in in financial vulnerability, for example, uh, in sustainable finance. So things that are not just the core banking or the core fintech topics. It's been around a long time and it sounds like you've got some fantastic experience as well. Joining Helene for the series, we also have Dave Pickering from Virgin Money. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, and welcome. And like Helene, I'm really looking forward to discussing this hugely important topic for, for the whole financial services industry, actually. I mean, I, I dropped into consumer duty back in the last sort of six, seven, eight months. And I'm leaning on the sort of implementation now of consumer duty into into Virgin Money. It's a hugely important topic and one that the industry is, you know, seeing now as the sort of benchmark topic, I think, for conduct regulation in the UK. And with it come a whole host of challenges, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a fair bit of detail as part of this uh, as part of this series. So looking forward to it. Glad to hear you're looking forward to it. And it sounds like you're in an ideal position to tackle our theme today. In this first episode, we'll be breaking down the FCA's 10 questions for firms and their relevance for banks in this first year of compliance. We'll then tackle the ins and outs of fair value assessments and product testing. Helene, let's jump straight in there and talk about the FCA's 10 key questions. The post-implementation note from the FCA states, the below 10 questions remain relevant for firms to consider now the duty has come into force. This in mind, how should the industry be approaching the key questions in 2024? Look, new consumer duty is a, is one of the cornerstones of the FCA's three-year plan um, to ensure that there are higher standards uh, in, in the firm consumer engagement in the relationship. And it, it goes beyond just creating and rolling out a product now, and it moves into monitoring, making sure that there's it is fair value, assessing whether the life cycle of the product that's the right product for a consumer and consumers individuals and also SMEs for example retail banking investment products etc and all the third-party vendors in between and then of course there's the addition of the uh, follow-on monitoring which I feel for, for some of the large organizations who traditionally have been data siloed management information systems have been complex the FCA has shown that it's going to have some teeth in implementing this. And I think maybe people were thinking initially as well, well, we'll wait and see what happens. We won't actually trigger some plans. Uh, but now they are in reviewing the first six months uh, since July when everything came into effect and looking at closed products, which will then come into enforce in, in uh, July 2024. So, you know, it is about the actual product, the, things like fair value, transparent pricing, 
limiting harms, developing frameworks. These are all very complex structures, particularly in large organizations where things may have been disparate and spread out. And it's not just about the financial institutions. It also impacts, as I say, the fintechs or other vendors who they work with. And of course, we're seeing it from people coming to us saying, we think we're ticking the boxes for the FCA to make us compliant, but we'd actually like to be more holistic. And we'll talk, I know, at some point when the series about financially vulnerable customers in the way that we approach um, communications, the cultural shift, the way we flag early on that somebody may have been missed in the system and, and not forgetting that senior management is also playing a role in this because board directors need to be educated in this and they're responsible for it as well so they can challenge senior management teams. It's a massive topic, as you say, and I think you really stress there the complexity and breadth of what we're trying to tackle is, is just huge. Dave, it seems clear that both the FCA and banks want to avoid leaving these questions behind with the compliance deadline, as Helene mentioned. What strategies can banks look to put in place to ensure the questions are used continuously and consistently as we head into the new year? Yes, I think the critical point for consumer duty is it, it's a cultural piece of regulation. So it really hits at the, at the sort of organisation's overall culture and approach to, to dealing with customers. It's a step up from TCF. It's now looking at delivering good outcomes as opposed to treating customers fairly. So it's, it, we've, we've seen it as a, a notch up. And I think the other big point is we need to demonstrate, we need to be able to demonstrate that we are delivering those good outcomes now. So the MI and the data is really important. Now with that brings the need then to make sure that we keep all these, that these key questions and all the various publications and dear CEO letters and everything else that's come out from the regulator and keeping those front of mind as we try to embed the principles of the consumer duty within, within the bank. The one thing this isn't is a one and done. So the, the one thing we were keen to impress when we hit the first deadline of 31st of July and the year just gone was actually, yeah, we're moving on to the closed book, but actually we get to 31st of July 24 and it continues. This is now a permanent piece of regulation. So we're seeing this very much as something that we have to embed within the organization. And to do that, we're, we're dedicating resource to do it. And we're making sure that we've got the right level of, I guess, oversight and scrutiny in the bank and that proper engagement across the bank to keep this alive, as opposed to, well, we've, we've met the deadline and now we can just all switch off and it's all fine and dandy. That's absolutely a key thing, really, is just to keep this alive, keep evolving and developing. So with the MI, it constantly evolve your MI look at what it's telling you have having the ongoing processes around product development and monitoring making sure that your business decisions are founded and focused on customer i think that's the thing it, it, it's really shifting whilst customer outcomes have always been there and have always been there in the back they're now front and center it's all around how we deliver those outcomes to customers and i think when you look at stuff like the, the closed books, for example, and you can't forget about your customers that are on your back book. You have to remember that you've got a cohort of customers there and you need to constantly review those products to ensure that they're delivering that fair value. And that may change over time. 
as market changes, as interest rate changes and things like that. So for me, this is a complete mindset shift for organisations. And we really, I think, now need to make sure that this is really embedded in the cultural piece of an organ and the cultural DNA of, of the organisation. Absolutely. And, you know, you're mentioning those customers there. When we have a look at the questions themselves, firms are asked to ensure that products and services meet the needs of target customers and perform as expected. It's it's clearly a big compliance point to work towards. But what challenges have you encountered when ensuring products and services continue to meet the customer expectations? So, well, one of the things that we've certainly we've sort of discussed and talked about is around getting the customer voice and hearing the customer voice. So I think there's a number of things that need to happen. One is that you do need to have that access to what customers are thinking, what they're saying, what their sort of wants and needs are. So you really understand it direct from the customer as opposed to making suppositions as to what might be good for them. I, I think there's work needed to make sure that you get the customer voice and feed that into any development of any product. We've talked a lot already around management information and data. It's making sure you're capturing the right information and data that's actually pointing to how those products are actually performing. And I think also, it's making sure that you're able to consistently test that understanding and that performance. So I think most organizations, I'm sure, have got some form of product governance framework in place where they will go through constant review, target market. And of course, the other the other big subset, and I know we'll probably talk about this at some point, is around vulnerable customers as well. Is making sure you're capturing all the different types of customer. You're looking at how those products themselves, what market are they designed for, making sure that you're actually putting those products and offering those products in the right markets. It's down to that ongoing review, monitoring, testing, both internally and externally from the organization. Thanks, Dave. We'll come back to testing vulnerability in a second. But when it comes to products, we're not just meeting customer expectations. Services need to be of fair value. Helene, what does this mean for customers? Actually, I think this is you know it's one of those ones where how do you actually define what is fair value, which could mean different things to different people. And obviously, again, I go back to you know I feel for the financial institutions that need to come up with what are the outputs that I'm actually trying to achieve. How do I then reverse kind of back into that to understand? It's clearly not just about low price means fair value for somebody at a certain time, right? Every customer is different. And and going back to what Dave was talking about uh, with target groups, you know, traditionally larger financial organizations, we all know would go, it's kind of like a group product. You define a group and you don't have to get into the weeds of who's within that group for some of the products that were sold before. And now we're actually saying, no, you have to get into more detail to make sure that the pricing the construct of the products is right for somebody at a particular time and then monitor that as you go on. So you talked about the back book, Dave. You know, if I had my mortgage 20 years ago and I'm now in a different part of my life and things have happened from a financial resiliency or health or a life point of view, maybe that's not the right product for me to have anymore. Maybe the products that I, I had that came along with it, for example, investment or insurance or something, then they're, they're not right for me anymore. So what's fair value for me is going to be different for somebody else, which is so difficult when you're talking about large groups of customers in a larger organization that has to keep moving in a, in a formal process. So you mentioned frameworks, you know, how do you actually decide what data goes into what framework 
based on what objective and then action and embed it within the culture. I think that some people just hear the words fair value and think, oh, this is just about having it priced so that it makes sense for somebody in a certain income or a certain life stage, which it's obviously not because I might want to pay more for something because the terms are better for me. And that makes it easier for me to make the payment, for example. Let's not make the assumption that just because something else is there, it's right for me. It's such a difficult concept to tackle. Dave, when deploying fair value assessments, how should banks use the results that they might come out with to ensure the ongoing adequacy of a service or product performance? Is, is this possible within the circumstances? So with fair value, actually, what I was talking before around how this is a move up from treating customers fairly to delivering good outcomes. And I think the point that Helene's just made there around is actually... In the past, you could sell a product and that that product would therefore remain for the customer's, you know, lifetime relationship with the bank. If it was, yeah, we've treated them fairly, da, 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 that was it, that's fine. Now it's around proving you're delivering a good outcome. Therefore, that because people's circumstances change, that product, yeah, it might have been great three, four years ago. Is it still the right product now? That's, I think, it's a good example of, of the difference between the two standards that we've we've, we've moved towards. I mean, I think in terms of fair value assessment, what I would say is that you need to have a sort of consistent process for assessing fair value. That's the first thing I think I would say. So making sure that you do that assessment to ensure that products themselves on an ongoing basis are meeting in those values. And the value, as um, Elaine said there, was it's not around just, oh, well, it's a cheap price. It's looking at the benefits that those products offer. And this is where, to your question around, you know, how do we ensure this on an ongoing basis? It is around making sure that you've got a good framework that you operate across. You've got that consistent process of fair value assessment. So looking at the, you know, you do look at pro the product price, but also you've got to look at the, the changes in the market. You know, we've had stable interest rates from about 2008 through to whenever to 2021. You know, now suddenly we've had the sharp increase in interest rates. They've steadied off a bit. The, the sort of view at the moment is that they're probably going to be trending at some point, we'll be trending downwards again. But that movement in interest rates, for example, has, has really, you know, had a big impact on the thinking around fair value and particularly around certain, you know, certain products. And the FCA has been very prevalent in the savings market at the moment in terms of what it's been asking from, for, firms to, for firms to do. So I think understanding the market, having your framework that's live, that, that is active on an ongoing basis to consistently review where you're at in terms of what those products are delivering, the pricing, the benefits that are being offered, and an overall then at the end of it, then that overall assessment of, you know, are we delivering value for money basically? So is the price what we're charging for customers and what they're receiving from that product? Is it broadly, would anyone looking at that objectively say that's good, good value for money? Imagine also if you have 30 million customers, the 20 million customers, the 50 million customers, this is a lot of customers, lot of to, customers. To, right? to be able to, to do this for. And yeah, you'll have to employ some technology, but then that means you have to have the right technology and not just spend money on tech that you think is going to do it. And whether that's also internal or external yeah. or a combination of both. Right. And then how we don't go into branches anymore in general. So we don't actually get to communicate with person behind the counter kind of thing or have relationship managers that we talk to all the time. So uh, some of this, and I know we'll get to this when we talk about vulnerable customers, I have to tell you as a customer that, that something isn't right. And I may be in a difficult situation. I don't want to tell you, or I can't tell you, or I can't find the mechanism. So 
it, I think it's a bigger undertaking than the general public appreciates. It is a bigger undertaking. And I think, you know, you've hit on one of the big the, the big problems here. You say we've got a massive customer base uh, and some banks are bigger than us and they've got even bigger customer bases. And the, the skill set that you're looking for in your workforce to be able to highlight, identify, deal with, and then having the sophistication within the systems that drive the right data and MI is an incredible incredibly complex and difficult challenge particularly for a lot of banks that are on legacy banks for example that are, have got historic systems it systems etc it's it's a massive shift yeah. massive shift yeah 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 and some of those legacy systems as they've mentioned are still on programming languages with big computer rooms that that you know have been going for a long time and they're not agile and they and they are the physical silos that create the other silos in, in the data with the science yeah. and the data, can you go into that a little bit more, Helena? I, I think, you know, when I think about some of the, for example, some of the training that we've done where we're, we're live and we're, we're, we're using real cases and case studies of, of, of things that have happened to people, partly in, in vulnerable people, but generally in new consumer duty, I can see when I speak to different parts of the banks, everyone's, I said, getting similar kinds of data given to them. But to Dave's point as well, if I'm on the front line and I have, you know, a limited amount of training and I'm the, the first port of call, I'm doing something different with that data than somebody who's, who's the next step in the chain or somebody who gets it at the end when they're already coming to take my house. And there are certain mechanisms where you think, well, I'll get in touch with somebody just to make sure that I've given, I pointed them in the right direction because look, it's a bank after all. It's not a, it's not a psychologist, right? But then if that's not followed up and it's not triggered and it's not tracked and it's not part of the monitoring, I don't know what happened to that person after that until it moves on to the next phase and something harmful has happened, which could have been avoided. And we all, you know, technology, like I said, and sometimes I think in the past, and Dave, you might, you know, from IT teams uh, can get very protective about their space and their data and their products and their services. And it's their jobs as well. Um, you know, I saw it from the FinTech side when we were talking about doing partnerships and and working together Internally, people say, now we can build this ourselves and we can do it ourselves. We don't want to work with a third party because we don't need to. And then 18 months later, they haven't kind of moved on because there's a lot of inertia and a lot of uh, process inside the organization. Data is clean data, accurate data, timely data. Even the regulator has a problem getting timely data sometimes. And you're acting on data that then is older. Something else may have happened in the meantime. So it's got a lot of challenges. Is this something you found as well at Virgin, Dave? Uh, yeah, I think it's true to say of all the organised service. We were going through delivering consumer duty in the first phase. I think we were, you know, we were talking to other organisations and I think all pretty much finding the same key challenges. And back to that silo point, if you think about how most of the legacy banks have, have, have developed and evolved their IT, enterprise-wide thinking on IT was not part of the script you know, all those years ago, it was around, you know, developing stuff for products and et cetera. So you're, you're, you're trying to lift out of that then product related OMI, which you're then trying to, you know, look at the read across. I mean, we're getting there. So, I mean, I think mm. it's fair to say that consumer duty has been a bit of a catalyst for the banking industry to look at its MI and the conundrum around, well, actually, we, we will need to demonstrate that we are meeting and delivering good outcomes for customers. So we've made some real progress around the MI, but there's still most organizations probably still would argue and, and rightly so that there's still a long way to go. And I think the regulators understand that. What I think the FCA's look for with this is to see firms take it seriously 
and make the shift or, or start to make the shift. And I think there's a rec- general recognition that there's some organisations just because of the way that the infrastructure is are going to take longer, you know, longer than others to get there. It's great yeah. to hear we're on the way at least. Something we'll pick up on next time is that demonstrating that you're following consumer duty, you're becoming compliant. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode, but do join us in our next Consumer Duty Spotlight episode where we'll be delving into effective communication and what it means for banks, employees, customers alike. Thank you for tuning in and many thanks to our wonderful guests, Helene and Dave. It's been a fantastic discussion today. Thank Thank you. you.